think it's safe to say that we do not have a Good stuff. So, and then everything resumes all of a sudden the following week, you know, Monday prayer, Tuesday women's Bible study, and so forth. So, sir. Well, we. We're going to. Do a two-part series in Proverbs this week and next week. So this will be Proverbs 9, 1 through 6 this week, and then 13 through 18 next week. So you can follow along with me in the Bible there in the text, and then we're going to dig into the text. This is um, some pretty powerful text here. You have two voices, wisdom and foolishness, calling out to everyone. So let's look at the first six verses here. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She set her table. She sent out her meeting, meetings. She calls from the tops of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says... Come eat my food, drink my wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly or foolishness and live. And then verses 13 through 18. The other call. The woman of folly, she's boisterous. She's naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house <clears throat> on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their path straight. Look at the difference in the message here. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says this. Totally different message, church. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Some pretty tough messages here. So throughout the first eight chapters of Proverbs, Solomon has really been trying to teach and unpack wisdom to his son, the importance of even gaining wisdom and the dangers of folly or having a complete disregard for truth. So here in this teaching, Solomon's son's going to need to carefully consider which direction he will go as it will shape the remainder of his life. And for us, which path will you choose? Which path have you chosen? You see, whatever path you've chosen, it's going to have eternal consequences for you and your life, death, and eternity with the Lord or eternity in hell. Think about it, church. So here, in this text, we have this picture of wisdom and folly as being presented as these two hostesses serving up a banquet for their guests in their home. Slide three. You're going to notice there's two feasts, two different hostesses, two groups of people that are invited, offering two different ways of life and two different end results. 
I like what Bruce Walkie, slide four, says in his commentary. <clears throat> Dr. Walkie says, both invite the gullible to their house for a feast. Wisdom, out of true love, competes for the hearts of the uncommitted. Folly, out of erotic lust, competes for their bodies. Wisdom invites them to leave behind their old identification and become wise at her sumptuous feast. However, folly lures those who have been going straight to turn aside, mindless of the consequences. Those who accept wisdom's invitation, they will live. The apostates will die. So let's unpack this. Let's slide five and six. So Proverbs 9, 1 says, Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out her seven pillars. And the New Living says it this way. Wisdom has built her house and she's carved its seven columns. So we see here that wisdom and folly are obviously being personified as women. Now I want to make sure that we do not forget the working definition of the word wisdom as it was used here in the Hebrew text. Slide 7. The Hebrew word is chakma. What does that word mean? What did it mean when Solomon was using that word some 3,500 years ago? Chakma means skill, masterful understanding, expertise. And in the Greek text, or even in the Septuagint, you have the Greek word, which is Sophia, means skill, expertise, insight, and deep understanding. Solomon starts with, wisdom has built her house. So that word build in the Hebrew, <clears throat> as it is used here, church, it has this idea of having the skill and mastery of bringing something into existence. Very powerful word there. The skill of bringing something into existence. She's hewn out her seven pillars. So think about it. With seven pillars, this house was no small efficiency apartment. There was no room for rent, church. It was a large, grand, beautiful home built on the solid foundation with plenty of room to accommodate those who would want to come in and dine at that table. And what does it say? Slide, uh, verse 2, Proverbs 9, slide 8 and 9. She's prepared her food. She's mixed her wine. She's set her table. There's three actions you see going on. She's not sitting down dormant on her porch, sunning herself. Slide 9. She prepared a great banquet. She's mixed the wine. She set the table. Notice, church, this is important. Notice how active she is in her preparation for her guests. She's not lazy, as we will see the woman of folly is. That, that, that Hebrew word for prepared has the idea is she's slaughtering the best among her herds, the best food you can eat. And the Word of God is the best food that you can dine on. Here we see the preparation for the banquet, the cooking of the meal, mixing the wine, setting a beautiful table. And that word setting has the idea of, of this unfolding of this beautiful tapestry of a tablecloth, arranges uh, all the dishes and cutlery so it's presentable to all those who will be attending the meal, sparing nothing when it comes to wisdom. And if you've ever been to a banquet, you can kind of get a little glimpse of how awesome that must be like. All 
the scriptural, biblical nourishment needed to live with a godly life, with godly wisdom, is served here. And of course, that is the Word of God, right there in the scriptures. So all of this is done and prepared, so we see what comes next. So all of that is completed and done. Look at verse 3, slide 10 and 11. She sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. And the NLT says, she sent out her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. This implies that everything is ready for her guests. She sent out her maidens. She sends out her royal maidens, her young woman servants, with an invitation to the feast. So we see this calling, we see this crying out from the highest place in the city. Church, this is wisdom herself calling out to all the undeserving to her banquet feast, which is filled with the rich food of knowledge and understanding. Church, hear me this morning. This wisdom wasn't just for a select few in some big Ivy Leaf school. It was publicly extended to anyone who would want to attend the banquet. Again, this invitation to gain wisdom and understanding is not discriminating against anyone. Here, about slide 12. So here's some questions as we think about it. Are you responding to God calling you to gain wisdom from his word this morning? Be honest with God and yourself. Are you responding to God's calling for you to gain wisdom from his word? Are the people, now here's a really important one. Are the people who are currently in your life right now, think about the people in your life right now, are those people causing you to grow in knowledge and wisdom from God's word, or are they filling your head with foolishness? Oh, I got quiet there, Dr. Carter. Think about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 is, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. So are the people that are in your life right now, are those people causing you to want to grow in your knowledge and wisdom from God's word, to know Christ in a more intimate way, or are they constantly steering you away from God to practice foolishness? Amen. Ask yourself, church, where in their influence in your life, where is it guiding you? Amen. If they have influence in your life, where is that influence taking you to? Look at verses 4 through 6 here, slide 13. So wisdom calls out, listen, whoever's naive, let him turn in here. To him who is lacking understanding, <clears throat> she says, come, eat of my food, drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live. Forsake your folly and live. Proceed in the way of understanding. Where do I get that from the scriptures? The NLT puts it this way, slide 14. Come in with me, she urges the simple. <clears throat> to those who lack good judgment, she says, come eat my food, drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Where does that come? That comes in through inculcating the word of God into your life. Let's make sure we understand, slide 15, what Solomon meant when he used the word naive. The word is pethy. The word naive, as it is used here in the Hebrew, 
has the idea of somebody that is gullible or easily misled. Somebody that is easily seduced. Far too willing to believe what others say. They lack good judgment and discernment that's necessary to correctly evaluate the people and the circumstances in their life. So what happens to the naive is they unwisely open themselves up to shady people and shady influences in their lives. Well, it's quiet now, doctor. Let's look at slides 16 and 17. And by the way, this is all in the scriptures we're reading. I didn't invent this. I'm not that smart. It's in the scriptures. So, church, how often do we find ourselves opening up our lives to shady people? The drug dealer don't care about you. Wake up. The bartenders don't care about you. Wake up. Do the people you associate with you, do they move you to want to grow and gain godly wisdom, or do they move you to chase after worthless, destructive pursuits? What are they doing? Think with me this morning. Slide 17, 18. Church, ask yourself these questions based on what you're reading in the text. What habits in your life right now are counterproductive to pursuing the wisdom found in Scripture? Are we spending 27,000 hours a week on Facebook? Oh, Twitter, Instagram? Oh, I can't miss this Facebook thing. Oh, no. Think about it. You know I'm telling the truth. What habits in your life are counterproductive to pursuing the wisdom found in Scripture? Perhaps it's too much time in front of the TV. Maybe it's too much time scrolling through your cell phone or your tablet. Maybe it's too much time playing these mindless video games. How about this, church? How do you handle the money you earn and are obtained? I don't think the drug dealer is giving you a 401k plan. I don't think the bartender's doing that. What are you doing with your money? How, how do you handle the relationships with people of the opposite sex? Men, do we treat one with respect and say, you know what, you're worth the wait before I lie with you like a used car? Think about it. How do you handle conflicts? Has everything got to be killing, shooting, murdering, blowing everyone up? Or can we learn to talk things through? Oh, it's getting quiet again. So church, those who lack understanding waste so much of their time in life on useless, foolish pursuits. They make impulsive decisions because they don't have the wisdom to make godly decisions. They end up hurting themselves and others. I want you to notice something else here. This incredible feast, this banquet, wasn't set up because of a person's wealth. wasn't set up because of what that person accumulated or how many degrees they have or what they're lacking in your life. Look at what John Kitchen says, slide 19. You do not have to possess superior intelligence to be wise. Simply an awareness that you do not yet possess it and a hunger to discover it. The greener you grow, the riper you rot. I can't get people to read five, page, five minutes in the Bible, but they can watch 20 million hours of CSI Law and Order and all these other shows. The text says, come eat my food, drink my wine, I've mixed. I, I want us to notice in this personal invitation of wisdom, it's freely, no cost, it's freely inviting those who lack good judgment, those who are so easily seduced by foolish fleshly pursuits, those who are foolish to turn away and repent of that, 
And those who refuse to surrender their lives over to godly wisdom. That's a personal invitation she's giving. And of course, this eating and drinking is speaking metaphorically to us to accept the teachings of Scripture, which is the wisdom from the Lord for you and I. Something else Bruce Wacky says, slide 20. Just as food and drink give physical life, Solomon's teaching gives a spiritual life. This truth finds an even better realization in Jesus' invitation to the banquet in the kingdom of God. All the scriptures point to Christ, church. What does Isaiah say? Let's look at slide 21 and 22. Isaiah and Revelation. Isaiah wrote this. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There's no cost to learn the word of God, church. How about Revelation 22? The Spirit, the Hagios Numa, the Ruach HaShikadesh, the Holy Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. That's powerful. Solomon goes on to say, forsake your folly and live. Here we come to this fork in the road. Here we come to this fork in the road. There are two very different ways of life being revealed with two very different destinations. Again, we see that Hebrew word folly. It's the same word used back in verse 4 for naive. People who are gullible, misled, easily seduced, having lacking good judgment and discernment that's necessary to correct and evaluate the people and circumstances in their life. Friends, brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. There is a call here to repent and make the choice to change the direction of your life. There's a call here. You're not going to get a second chance. It's appointed once for a man or a woman to die and then the judgment. Here you come to this fork in the road. Do you want to do it God's way or do you want to keep doing it your way? And ask yourself, doing it your way, where's it gotten you? 20 million times in a, in, in a rehab? I mean, come on. The world cannot solve spiritual problems. Rehabs can't solve spiritual problems. Christ can solve spiritual problems. And somebody who is a registered addiction specialist with a PhD in it is telling you that. What does he say? Leave your simple ways, your foolishness behind and live. Leave the ways of the unwise thinking and living your life foolishly. Why? Your eternal life depends on it. Ask yourself this morning, whose voice are you listening to? The woman of wisdom or the woman of folly? You know, slide 23. We are told to live. Leave the foolishness behind and live. And that, that Hebrew word for live is the word koya. It actually means to nourish up. To nourish up. What I find so fascinating and precious about this word is this word is actually the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in case you're wondering, where do we get that word alphabet from? Well, I just 
learned something myself. Aleph Bet is the first two letters in the Hebrew language where we get our English word alphabet from. So where seven is the number of completion with this eight letter, which is basically called a Ched, signifies, listen, a time of new beginning. Live. There is a new beginning if you live for God. It's a time of new beginning. Isn't that powerful? You see, this, this letter, this chet, this letter, this eighth letter in the alphabet for this word live here, represents the binding together of man with God. I find the Hebrew language fascinating. Amen. Think about a church. Creating a new beginning on earth with a relationship with Christ. Christ has provided the way for you and I to make it happen. He goes on and says, proceed in the way of understanding. Proceed. Nourish up your mind and soul with the word of the living God. The scriptures. I want to share with you what Chaim Bentor says about this letter, which forms this word, live here, in our text this morning. Chaim Bentor says this, when the Chet, the word live, tells us that we can bind ourselves to God through Jesus Christ and start a new beginning here on earth, it is also reminding us of whatever we do, we must remember to make it holy and to revere God as holy. Do we do that? This means that whatever we do or think is to be dedicated to the service of the only one true and living God. That's live, church. That's live. Forsake your folly and live. Give up your foolish way of thinking and live. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine what Solomon's son must have been thinking when his father was sharing this wisdom with him. Powerful stuff. Slide 25. Here's the question. Is the word of God, is it affecting your mind right now? Church, are there areas of your life and my life that we need to repent of and change so that whatever we're doing is in serving holy God? You're not serving him sucking down the booze, getting high, shooting up, shooting up crank or crack or oxycotton or any of that stuff. That, that, that's not going to give you life. The devil whispers in your ear, just one more hit of the drugs and you'll be fine. One more tip of the bottle, everything will be okay. Your job or your family. He wants you to be so far away from this that you think you have everything you need. You're not going to find it in the syringe or the bottle. But you will find it in a relationship with Christ. Live. That's what he's telling all of us to do. Amen. So think about it. What areas in your life and my life do we need to turn away from and change so whatever we eat, drink, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God? Amen. What behaviors do we need to give up? Contrary to belief, we are not in control. We are not in control. Slide 26. I like how Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus also speaks of two destinations. <clears throat> what does Jesus say? Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter, enter through the narrow gate, the stenos gate. 
For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are so many who enter through it. But for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and very few find it. Get caught up in the world. Entertainment. So what, Je- what is Jesus doing here? This is kind of like the uh, coming to the end, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or the Sermon on the Mount. This is chapter 7. He's pretty much finishing it up. Most of the people in the crowds that day were disciples, but only in a very loose sense. Hey, I'll follow God when everything's going really good. Food on the table, you know. It's the first of the month. I got a little, the check came in, a little money in my pocket. I'm going to go live it up, and the rest of the month I'm just going to survive. So there were a lot of people there when he was teaching that day. A lot of disciples, but only in a loose sense. What does that mean? Church, they were not completely committed to to the Christian life. In fact, most of them weren't even dedicated disciples, much like we see in the church today. So Jesus says, listen, you're going to have to enter through the narrow gate. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, go through this gate. That word narrow in the Greek is the word stenos. In the Greek, it's what we call an arist imperative, which just simply means in our English terms, a command to do something in the, in the future. This wasn't, hey, you know, I'll think about it, I'll ponder it. No, this steno or narrow gate has the idea of something important. When he says enter through the narrow gate, what Jesus is saying is this. You need to move very carefully through all these obstacles in your life. That's what he's saying. That word, the idea is carefully navigating through the obstacles. Why? Church, the gate, the, the gate is narrow. It's confining. The gate is very small, and it literally will like press upon you. And you're going to have obstacles to deal with. And, and Jesus has a name for the people that are willing to do that. Because they love him. He calls them the few. Are you labeled one of the few? When things are really, really getting rough and tough, and you feel the world pressing in on you, and you feel like you're being sifted through, do you trust him enough to say, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you through these obstacles? Because the only way to get through them is through you. It's with you. So in order to enter through the gate, a person that wants to be labeled the few and go through this gate, he's, he or she is going to have to do something. You see, you're going to have to strip yourself of many things that are getting in the way of your walk with the Lord. Things like the love of sin, the love of the world, an unforgiving spirit, selfishness, self-righteousness. You're going to have to strip yourself of all that. Pride. Arrogance, bitterness, hatred. You've got to strip yourself of all of your so-called self-sufficiency. You're going to have to repent and strip yourself of all the baggage of sin and self-will. All of us have to do that to be considered one of the few going through the narrow gate. Amen. Slide 27. Jesus says this to his disciples, his Matthias. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He needs to take up his cross and follow me. Wow. Where are you with that this morning? Where are any of us with that this morning? Are we chasing after the trinkets of life? 
Whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. Think about what was being said here. Church, this is where the pavement hits the road, so to speak. If anyone wishes to come after me, if you have truly, truly, completely surrendered your life to Christ and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, you and I are being called to a life of obedience. Jesus says the way to follow him is to deny yourself. In, in the Greek, this is a very strong statement in the Greek language. When you, listen, <laughs> to deny yourself is to completely disown and to completely separate yourself from someone or something that is in the way of that relationship with the Lord. We have to get rid of anything that gets in the way of our walk with the Lord. Jesus is saying, listen up. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to disown the person you used to be before you got saved. Have you disowned the person you used to be before you got saved? You're going to have to separate yourself from anything that's going to separate you from Christ. And I know this is hard stuff because our flesh doesn't like this. Our flesh hates this. It's hard stuff. You know, because you and I are living in this ongoing, constant temptation container of this world to want to take back what we gave up to follow Christ. Have you given up anything to follow Him? You're still getting high, drunk, shooting up, doing all that character foolishness, and then trying to call yourself a Christian? No. Sorry, don't work that way. We will still struggle with wanting things our own way. But that's why we need to turn to Christ and we need to die daily to sin, church. And we are close to the end. Christ could come back at any time right now. Ask yourself if he comes back, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be sucking it down, getting drunk, getting high, laying with somebody you're not married to? What are you going to be doing when he comes? What kind of shame are you going to have if that happens? I know this is hard stuff to hear, but somebody's got to tell the truth. Then he talks about the wide gate. Those travelers have a name too. They're called the many. It's a very spacious gate, church. This gate, just like the naive person, is easily entered to with all the baggage of life in tow. In fact, the large crowds can enter this way all at the same time. You see, the wide gate says, listen, keep your pride. Keep your self-indulgence. There's no demands here. No discipline to acquire. Let your flesh guide you through. Drink up, party, get high. Invite all your naive friends to party with you. The wide gate is tempting. It's a lure dangling in front of you. It promises you pleasure. It tries to say, look, everybody's doing it. Everybody thinks it is going this way. See, the wide gate does something different. It appeals to your imagination. You see, the wide gate says, listen, Jesus isn't enough to make you happy. You need something else. The white gate says to the alcoholic, the bottle of your family. Just one more drink, you'll forget about it. To the drug addict, he'll say the crack, the heroin, the crystal meth, or your family. Just one more hit, you'll be fine and joy. The heroin or your job. Listen up. The wide gate doesn't want you to think about the consequences of your choices. Amen. It wants you to be careless. It wants you to be, as Solomon says, naive. Think with me. 
You and I, whether we like it or not, live in a society that favors self-indulgence. Did you ever notice when your desires start to speak with you, how you and I can all of a sudden perk our ear up and start listening very intently? Here's the problem with that. We enjoy our sin. I know that hurts, but it's the truth. For the person who struggles with pornography, he initially likes the covertness of that lifestyle. He or she doesn't consider the broken relationships that follow it. One other problem with the wide gate appeal is that with each indulgence, each tip of the bottle, each hit of the crack or meth or whatever, you begin to feel less and less satisfied, yet at the same time, you're persuaded that that object of romancing is the only thing that can satisfy you. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Your cravings reveal what controls your heart, church. Ask yourself what you're craving. That's what's controlling your heart. Sin calls out to you and says again, just one more. Church, people ruin each other with their wicked, sinful behaviors. He says broad, meaning wide is the gate that leads to ruin, to destruction, church. But true followers of Christ, we are called to walk along the narrow road because of where the narrow road leads, which is life. We somehow believe the lie that we're going to be here forever. Every day is going to be the next day forever. There is going to come a time when you and I are going to draw our last breath here on earth. You are not going to be woken back up. God forbid you drive from a drug overdose or you rot your liver out and die of the alcohol poisoning to your body or whatever it may be, someday, here's the rub, you're going to die. And you and I are going to stand before God, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and you and I are going to have to give an account of everything we did on earth, whether good or bad, while we were here. The Bible does not say there's a purgatory. The Bible does not say, listen, when you die, you're going to come back as Uncle Eddie as a frog or a horse or whatever, some stupid nonsense. Don't believe the lie. I've never had one of my relatives go moo at me because they came back to something else. That's how foolish sin is. It asks you to believe things that are completely ridiculous. Solomon admonishes his son. Look at slide 28. What does he say? Come, son. Come in with me. She urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she's saying, come eat my food. Drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your foolish, simple ways behind and begin to live. Think about it. The very God that knits you in your mother's womb is calling out to you and says, follow me, repent, and live. Live. Don't be misled by the foolishness. Live. Church, listen. The narrow gate separates true followers of Christ from the crowd. All of Jesus' teachings has given you and I the way to travel through that narrow road. He also uses one other way to, to, to say it. Luke, 20, uh, Luke 13, 24. He uses the word strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will, I tell you, will seek to enter it and not be able to. That word, strive. You all know that. You guys know your Greek and don't realize it. Everybody, anybody ever use the word agony or agonize? 
That word strive in the Greek is where we get our Greek word agony from. It's agonizome. It's to agonize. What does it mean? Struggling, fighting, enduring to accomplish something. Hear me this morning. Understand that the true message of the gospel is not and has never been and ever will be about self-fulfillment or pleasure. The message of the gospel for you and I is dying to self, church. We deny ourselves of chasing after our selfish goals and our fleshly desires. This is where the agony, this is where the fight comes in. The battleground is in your hearts, church. This is why the wisdom of Scripture is so important for you to feed on, and I want to encourage you to feed on the Word of God, church. Jesus is saying, listen, that narrow gate, he's telling you, there's going to be obstacles in your life. There are things that you're going to be working through. That's where your character's developed. That's where we develop a relationship. These obstacles will be hard and painful at times. There will be things that, you will, that will try to trip you up all along the way with this journey with Jesus. You will be battling your flesh that is warring against your soul. You see, church, going through the narrow gate, forsaking your foolishness and living, involves a change of heart as well as a change of your mind. I like what Paul Tripp says, and I'm going to finish up here. Slide 31. Paul Tripp says this. The bottom line, Jesus calls us to offer him everything so that we can be free from the things that have a hold on us. I want to ask you this morning. Here's a very important question. If you were to drop dead this afternoon, you just disregarded everything you were just taught, and you die this afternoon, and you stand before holy God, because someday you will, and he looks you in the eye, and he says to you, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? Think about it. What are you going to say? Someday you're going to die. You and I are not going to live forever. It doesn't matter if somebody's a baby that lives 20 minutes or somebody lives 100 years. Someday it is appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. So someday you're going to die. So if you were to die, this is... Listen, if you die today and you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, I didn't know any better. And God's going to say, well, weren't you at that church service this morning where I had him feed you the word of God? Amen. So what are you going to say? There's only one answer. Because your son, Jesus Christ, took the very worst of me and had it placed on himself. And Christ took the very best about himself and the Father placed it on me. So the only way that you go to heaven is because of what Christ accomplished on your behalf. You and I will never be good enough to make it to heaven on our own. You can walk a hundred old ladies across the street, buy somebody some smokes at Wawa, think you're doing such a wonderful job, that ain't going to get you into heaven. Someday you're going to die. And if you have not repented and surrendered your life to Christ, you are going to be burning in hell for all eternity. Now I know that's hard to hear. A lot of churches don't like to preach it. I'm just telling you what the text says. Amen. So you have a choice to make this morning. There's two roads set before you. You can keep living the way you're living. 
You can keep sucking down the booze, getting high, laying with people you're not married with, doing all the foolish stuff. Or you could turn away from that way of life and do what the Bible says. That's the Hebrew word chet. You can live. Life is in Christ. The only reason you're alive is because God has allowed you to live. Every pump of your heart, every breath you take is a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. The fact you can hear this message is really a gift from God and you can see is a gift from God. Yet we'll spit on him because we want the trinkets of the world? Ask yourself, what kind of road do you want to take when you leave here? Do you want to walk with Christ? And see, by the way, being a Christian is not boring. Oh, Pastor Jack, it's a boring life. You guys sit there and read your Bible all day long. Oh, that's what I hear. And it's very funny because I've been studying this Bible for 20 years, and I'm ignorant, and every time I get into it, I learn something new. Because we call it the hermeneutical circle. It is exhaustive. You get new, oh, I can feel the Holy Spirit here right now this morning. You get insights you didn't even know existed. And you learn more about yourself than you ever could by getting the Word of God. Because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like that great Ginsu knife that cuts you open to reveal the real you. Have you ever asked yourself who you are? If somebody asks you who you are, what do you tell them? What do you think about it? What do you tell them? Well, who are you? I don't know who I am. I've forgotten who I am because I'm so messed up in this world that I don't even know who I am. But if you're born again, you can say, I am a child of the living God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. Forget me, I'm insignificant. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads to do something for yourself. Maybe you've never done it before. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to call out to God. You can go out and giggle and laugh and play the game. Oh, he's an idiot and all that other stuff. You can do all that. You're going to find out how true this is when you drop dead. Or you can talk to God. Because Listen, God doesn't, he's not an old man. He's not asleep up there. He doesn't have hearing aids. God can hear you. If you truly call out to him and say, Lord, help me understand who you are. And in case you're wondering what sin is, sin is anything you do that breaks God's law. Whether lying, cheating, stealing, misleading, using God's name as a cuss word, profanity, all of those things. If you've ever done anything like that, you've broken the law. And if you've ever been in a courtroom, what is the responsibility of a judge if you break the law? What's the judge supposed to do? The judge's job is to mete out a consequence, right? That's the job of a judge. What do you think God's going to do when you stand in this courtroom... And you're standing there, and the prosecuting attorney is Satan. He, he's a liar from the very beginning. What are you going to do? Ask yourself. It's going to happen. I'm just telling you what the truth is in advance to give you a chance to really change your direction. I want you to think about that. What are you going to do? You see, for the believer, when, when the verdict of the wages of sin is death is pronounced, somebody walks into the courtroom... And he goes up on your side, and somebody says this, and his name's Jesus. He says, listen, Father, every filthful, rotten, horrible thing that person has ever done, I'm going to pay for it. Father, take the worst about that person, place it on me. I'm going to pay for it. I'm the only one that can pay a debt that big. 
I'm going to shed the crimson blood, the blood of God that is in my veins as payment. And Father, for restitution, I want you to take the very best about me and I want you to place it on that sinner so they're made right positionally. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shake hands, meet and greet, line up for the meal.